Hey, hey, welcome back to Stub Me Down. My name is JW, and he's all right because he just got a degree. As usual, I'm here with my buddy, Skinny. Skinny, say hello. Masters Skinny, say hello to the people. Uh, hey, what's up, everybody? You don't have to call me that. I'm just happy to get it and not have to go to class anymore, considering I'm almost 50. Going to class when you're in your 40s really sucks. Get it done early, everybody. Very cool that you are a master of something. Your domain, education, classroom. I, I don't even know if you're a master of your own house, but you do have the paperwork to prove something. So congratulations from all of us here at Stub Me Down on a great accomplishment. I know you've been working your ass off for a long time to finish your education. So uh, I'm proud of you, buddy. Thanks, man. A lot of papers, uh, a lot of shit I didn't read. A lot of stuff I had to read. Yeah, it was tough, but I, I made it through, man. Uh, but I'm I'm definitely excited today to uh, be talking to you. I know that you'll put that master's degree to good use as we continue on this stub me down journey. We are here today to get into our eighth episode of Stub Me Down. So we're really excited for the conversation that is on tap. Episode seven, stop, start, jam was a lot of fun. We took a look at a fish show from Hershey Park in September, September 15th of 2000. We had a great conversation. We talked about the band's ability to incorporate the stop start jam into, in this case, a second set tube. We also discussed a little bit about how that tube was listed in the set list. It made me think a little bit more about that Stop Start Jam. And Fish actually just released a show from July 21st, 1997. And the Bathtub Gin at the end of the first set had a really nice Stop Start Jam. And so I thought about some other 97 shows, I'm sure, Skinny, that you're familiar with that included some pretty cool Stop Start stuff. Try and say that five times fast. Um, but the November 17th, 97 Tweezer was a really good one. The McNichol Arena show. You've got some stuff in 96. There's a December 6, 1996 Week of Hog that had a great stop start jam. The July 6, 1998 Ghost, really cool stop start jam. Of course, I said other 1997 shows and then went on to list only one before moving on to other years. But you get the idea. Other notable 97 stop-start jams would include the 1128 Ghost, 12-7, there was a really good stop-start in Tube, and the 1229-97 Antelope, also really good. So fall of 97, really productive as far as those stop-start jams were concerned. They have been mixing it up and including that as part of their jams in 1.0, as we discussed. And you were interested in maybe them playing that a little bit more now as opposed to some of the things that they're doing like woos. Yeah, stop starts would be better than woos. I'm definitely not going to get uh, anybody being adverse to that situation there. See, I'm using that masters already. But uh, <laughs> uh, the best thing is I went back again and listened to that tube and it just because there's a count off, it's one long jam and they bring it back. It goes to so many different places and I love that. And I also have been listening uh, to another stop start from 
uh, my very first show. So whenever we see a band, we only talk about the second show I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, so uh, that might happen again. It's a Mike song where they, they do it really well, too. And the first show at 628, 2000 has a stop start that's just so, so good. And I wish they would do that because the woos are just annoying. I mean, I get it, but I don't I don't make that sound. I don't go, woo! <laughs> Not Ric Flair. Comparatively speaking, the woos versus a stop-start jam, I think, are apples and pineapples. Pineapple? You've seen a pineapple, dude. They're weird looking. I don't have a good analogy for this. Apples are like a red ball. That's like, like, why are you so hesitant to believe in your own analogies? Come on, man. That's, yes, it's a fine analogy, Josh. Of all of the tricks and crowd participations and things that the band can do, wooing is not one of my favorites. Stop, start, jam is one of my favorites. So I'll just leave it at that. Sounds good to me. I mean, I, you know, definitely should go back and listen to that show. A really solid fish show. I, I highly suggest it. I've, I've been listening to it myself. So if you feel that it was properly listed in the set as tube into jam, let us know via our social media. You can get us on Twitter at stub underscore me underscore down. And we're on IG at the same address, stub underscore me underscore down. As somebody who keeps the set in a little book, I wrote down tube. I didn't write down tube into jam. And then into, I think when the circus comes to town followed that I just wrote tube into when the circus comes to town. So I don't necessarily think that that needed to be separated to me. It was just a stop start jam that Trey happened to count off before they jumped back into it because it was still a tube jam when they restarted the jam after the stop. And more importantly, let's not take away from Skinny seeing an almost 20-minute jam of tube, <laughs> which I'm still waiting for since that day. And I doubt that I'll see it, but hey, there's hopes and dreams. You never know. Stranger things have happened. So today on episode eight, Skinny is going to be stubbing me down, which will be pretty cool. The last time Skinny stubbed me down, he, he embarrassed me because I have not seen any shows that featured Jerry Garcia. And I have a feeling that something similar might be afoot for today's episode. You never know. In case you're just joining us here on Stub Me Down, the premise of the show is that over the last 20 years of our friendship and even before that, Skinny and I have amassed a stack of concert ticket stubs and we pull those concert stubs at random and use them as a jumping off point to talk about music that we've seen, revisited concerts that we've seen together separately and use those shows as a vehicle to talk about music in light of our 20 year plus friendship. Skinny, do you have anything else to add before we go ahead and take a look at the show that we'll be featuring here on episode eight of Stub Me Down? We always talk about the first time I see a band. We always talk about the second time I see them. It's appropriate for our conversation today on episode eight. So are you ready for me to stub you down? I certainly am, Skinny. Let's do it. Okay, buddy. So here it is. Jerry Garcia Band, 
September 2nd, 1989, Merriweather Post Pavilion, otherwise known as Jerryweather, my favorite venue in the whole world, probably because it's only 20 minutes away from wherever I was living at the time, but still a pretty cool venue. That's my stub. I'm stubbing you down. What do you think? Excited? Sounds awesome. I am familiar with both of the shows they played there. They did a show on September 1st, and this was the second of those two nights. I love Merriweather Post. It is my adopted hometown venue. Interestingly enough, Skinny, this is episode eight of Stub Me Down, but this is the first show at Merriweather that we will be featuring on our podcast. Oh, shit. I did not know that. I guess I did, but I, there's so much other stuff going on. So I totally, yeah, it is the first one. Totally cool. And it's interesting, too, because in the fall of 1989, I was starting, I believe, seventh grade. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Keep going. I love this. I probably had no idea who Jerry Garcia was or the Grateful Dead at that time of my life. Honestly, I was probably worried about who I was going to sit with at lunch and if my mom put cheese on my bologna sandwich. So the opportunity to talk about this show, and we've talked about both the O'Neill brothers on previous episodes of Stub Me Down. J.O. is a close friend of ours, and his late brother Joe, also a close friend of ours, always talked about this show, as did you, uh, back in the day. And the recordings that I have, I have a couple of audience recordings uh, that I got in the early 2000s when I was binging everything Grateful Dead and Jerry Garcia, I was blown away when I heard these two shows. So I am super excited to talk about this second one. And some of the songs on this set list are some of my favorite Jerry Garcia band tunes. And the versions here are really top notch. So I am thrilled to be doing this show. You're correct. They played two nights. Uh, it was Labor Day weekend. All the guys that I kind of had hung out with, they had to go to college. Uh, a lot of guys went out of state for college. I went to uh, a private uh, Catholic preparatory school. And so a lot of those guys were super smart and went to colleges all across the United States. I <laughs> uh, was not... Uh, necessarily the most academic of guys, but I, I made it through that school. I was very proud, but I stayed home and went to community college. So I got the opportunity when Jerry was touring in that fall tour um, after a great Grateful Dead summer tour. Um, I had the opportunity to see him two nights in a row. And uh, these were the first two shows that I had ever seen the Jerry Garcia band play. And they played Mitt Merriweather, which was awesome. The shows and the scene um, and the fact that I had some Baltimore friends, some local friends that I was hanging out with and living with, actually, uh, in Fells Point. I had an opportunity to go to these shows, which a lot of my friends did not see. So this, even back then, was a little swing that if you saw it, you were quite lucky because just at that time, I had graduated high school in May or June. Everybody else was going to college by mid-August. I was not one of those guys. I was going to college, but I wasn't going out of state. So I was really lucky to see these. And, and these shows are top notch. And I'll put them against anything I've ever seen. Uh, do we have a top concert alert for Skinny? We do. 
Whoop, woo, woo. I'll do the woos. <laughs> Are we talking about like top three? Top five, where are we on the top concert alert here for this September 2nd, 1989 Garcia Band show? I'm going to put them both in my top five. These two are, are super special, and I'll definitely put them in the top five. But we'll talk about that maybe at the end of the episode, maybe at the end of the season. I don't know. I'm, maybe I shouldn't say anything to you. <laughs> But yeah, let's let's take a look at this uh, first set. Let's get into this, man. Come on. These concerts were so good that they were released as part of the Pure Jerry series. I think they came out in 2005. Even 16 years after these shows were played, releasing it in a box set like that, I think shows how well they were thought of by the people running Grateful Dead Productions and and the music collection and controlling the archive to, to release these two. So very cool that they did that and very cool that you were there and I was 12. Um, so they opened up set one with I'll Take a Melody. Second song was They Love Each Other, They Love Each Other holds a special place in my heart. That was the song that danced with uh, for the first time as husband and wife with Megan. Uh, Forever Young, That's What Love Will Make You Do, Knocking on Heaven's Door, And It Stoned Me, and they closed the first set with Midnight Moonlight. So you've got seven songs there. We're not talking about super long sets in any of these shows, really. A lot of covers, only, what, one Jerry Garcia original, and that's They Love Each Other. Listening back to these shows, and I listened to both of them, the crowd was feeling and I had, I have audience copies of this that I got, like I said, when I was trading CDs in the late 90s and early 2000s. And while the music sounds great, you are dead center in the middle of that crowd and everybody was having a blast. Yeah, so the first night I was in the pavilion, I was probably maybe 30 rows up on Melvin's side, so looking kind of right down at him. And then the second night I was uh, in the shitty seats, <laughs> which I was all the way at the back of the lawn. But I will tell you, sometimes that back of the lawn, actually a lot of times, is just where you want to be. And luckily I'm a taller dude, but I could see over that crowd. And I will tell you, the energy was electric. There was a lot of dancing, meaning the entire crowd was dancing. You know, the elements of a scene, comparative, Grateful Dead to, to Jerry. Yes, there are the same fans there, um, but I think it was more of a, a party atmosphere and a good time atmosphere where sometimes, especially in the late 80s and early 90s, the Grateful Dead gave way to uh, some lecherous, you know, events, whether they be in the parking lot or inside you know, breaking fences. You know, they had some issues as a Grateful Dead when they performed there in 85 at Merriweather. And in case nobody's kind of hip to that job, they basically got banned there because uh, of, you know, all the illicit things that were happening. So it was good to see that Jerry was back and I had the opportunity to see it. So I, I can just tell you, I was super pumped to, to be able to witness those shows. So yeah, I mean, it was electric, Josh, no doubt. Yeah, and it comes through not only in 
the sound of the band, but in the reaction of the crowd and the excitement that you can really feel through the recordings that you're listening to. We talked in episode six when we looked at that Grateful Dead show from July 6, 1990. We talked about, or you talked about, the relationship that Jerry and Brent had. And one of the things that really came through on these two nights, but especially this show, was the interplay between Jerry and, and Melvin Seals on keys. The They Love Each Other, as I mentioned, love that song, my wedding song with, with Megan. The interplay between those two guys is so natural and just so much fun. Do you feel that it was Jerry's ability to adapt to the keyboard players or the keyboard player's ability to play with Jerry or a combination of both? How would you evaluate his relationship with those musicians like Melvin and Brent and every person that played keys with Jerry over the years? All right, well, I mean, I'll say this. I mean, I've only seen a couple of keyboarders play with Jerry, so, you know, it's it's a limited scope of what I can tell you. But what I can tell you about Melvin in particular for this show was by the second song of the first night, and I, I keep, re I'm sorry if I keep going back to talking about that first night, so it's, it's almost like we should have done both shows, but that's a, that's a long time. That's a lot of music to kind of talk about, so. Melvin and, and Jerry looked like uh, they were intertwined from the get-go in the beginning, of the, like just seeing these guys play together. The way that it sounds when you're listening to it, and, and this show in particular, because it was second night, they get a groove on, that Melvin and Jerry would just split off after they sung the verses and the chorus, then Jerry's basically like, here you go, Melvin. So then Melvin takes it. And then Melvin leads Jerry right back into it. And then Jerry takes the the verse and chorus using the guitar. And Melvin had just done the same using the organ or the keys. You could tell that they liked it. And the crowd appreciated it too, because a lot of time in an orchestra, you have a first chair. So if it's the violin and it's a solo, the first chair takes that solo. And Jerry was basically doing that to Melvin a lot. It wasn't Jerry taking that first solo. He was giving it to Melvin. And that really shines in this first set, definitely. There's there's so many times that happens. And Jerry's fine with it. I, I think that's also the last thing I would say about a relationship between a keyboardist and the ones that I've seen with Jerry and Brent is that he was, he was very giving in the fact that it wasn't just about him, which made him different than your atypical rock star. And that's probably why so many people worshiped him. Uh, I think a lot of times when you give as a musician and it's not about you, it kind of gives back to the crowd and the crowd appreciates that. So I, I, I love it. I can listen to that. If I had to take the Desert Island music, I would just take these two nights. I'm not saying they're my top five of all time. I'm just saying I would take these two. You're alluding to something a little bit heavier than maybe I think you wanted to, but uh, we'll leave that for a future episode, the Desert Island episode. Listening to this this show, this set, both nights, however you want to break it down, it's a much different feel than the Grateful Dead musically. 
Um, you've got a little bit more, especially these two nights with the backup singers and some of the kind of the uplifting theme that you get through some of these tunes. It's a little bit more on the gospelish type side. There's a little bit more of a reggae feel to some of these tunes and how they're being played. How would you evaluate the difference between the Grateful Dead and their setless construction and how they play those songs versus Jerry Garcia band? And looking at the first set, you would say, they love each other and knocking on heaven's door would probably be the only songs out of that set that the dead ever played i'm looking at this from somebody who obviously never saw jerry garcia band never saw jerry garcia and the grateful dead but i have seen fish and trey anastasio band and there is a similar feel to a fish show and to a Trey show. There's some differences. Trey brings in the horns. He also does backup singers, a couple of different players. But there's a lot of musical crossover between Trey and Fish that maybe wasn't as prevalent with Jerry and Jerry Band and The Dead. So how would you kind of classify the difference between Jerry Garcia Band, Jerry Garcia doing solo stuff versus Jerry Garcia as the reluctant frontman of the Grateful Dead. Well, that's a really good way to put it. Reluctant frontman. I think that's probably what he was anyway in his own head. After these shows, like and being able to compare, I think even as a uh, person that was just turned 19, was that Jerry Garcia band was like church, energetic. There's a lot more dancing. It seemed like there was also more of a party atmosphere as where the Grateful Dead seemed as though it was more of a tribal atmosphere where people were trying to be part of something that they either time forgot or that they wanted to hang on to. Jerry Garcia Band wasn't anything like that. So you would say maybe the Grateful Dead was the crowd was a little bit more serious about being at a Grateful Dead show than maybe a, the Jerry crowd was? Yeah, I mean, you don't scream in the middle of a Black Peter, but it, <laughs> but you can, like a Jerry, you know what I mean? Like some guy in the back is like, play deal or something cool. Like when they used to play, you know, like little places like the Warner, like around here, or, you know, somewhere out in San Francisco. And it had a little bit more heart to it, a little bit more, we're gonna play like the best songs that we can play and it has nothing to do with the Grateful Dead. So quite honestly, even though you're right, in the first set, they love each other and a knocking on heaven's door, which I've both seen the Grateful Dead perform, it was not the same prototypical way that they played it with the Dead uh, as they did with Jerry Garcia. It was quite different, actually. If you listen to this, they love each other. It goes on for a while. There's a, a lot of interplay between Melvin and, and Khan and Garcia. Garcia, I think, liked his bandmates a lot, and he just seemed to be having a lot of fun this two-night run in Merriweather. The crowd obviously could see that he was having fun. Although he did smoke Camel unfiltered like for 10 minutes in between each song, so that's why the songs are so short. <laughs> like, when's he gonna play? I mean, at least it gave you time to like settle down and kind of have like conversations with your friends in between songs, but true story there. You, you mentioned that there was more of a church feel to a Garcia band show than 
to a Grateful Dead show, and, and it's funny, my wife makes fun of Trey sometimes for his Church of Trey song, Soul Planet, and Set Your Soul Free, and uh, some, of, some of the newer things that have this very kind of churchy, uplifting feel. This show has a little Church of Jerry to a very uplifting, a little bit spiritual, knocking on heaven's door, uh, midnight moonlight, a little bit of love songs in here. Don't slip on the Forever Young. I wanted to ask you about the Forever Young because you can really feel the emotion in Jerry's playing. And that's one of the things for me, you know, we're one of the reasons we're doing this on Stub Me Down is we're really trying to answer this question that can never be answered, right? What is it about music, about the live show experience that captivates us so intently? There are a lot of little things that we can we can identify, but there's something greater in this that's kind of tough to put your finger on, at least in my estimation. And this is one of those things, listening to Jerry play that solo in Forever Young, where you really can feel kind of what he's playing. It gives you that sense of emotion. It really comes through in the music. You're 18, 19 years old. They're playing Forever Young. You're standing on the lawn at Merriweather. What do you what do you think about that now as almost 50 listening back and thinking wow forever young you are somebody who i think encapsulates that concept of forever young in your mindset your attitude the things you do and the things you enjoy how do you look back at that moment now more than 30 years later like when i listen to it i want to cry because i wish i would have paid more attention to especially that cut i mean i remember it don't get me wrong but the way that he plays that and his solo in that i definitely want that played at my funeral like i hope it doesn't happen anytime soon i'm just saying i, I would love it played and i think that leads us back into the question of like what what is it i think it just makes you become a, a better listener over the course of your life, you start to listen not only to music, but other things in your life and like what's important to you uh, as an individual. And I think it's really important when you listen to that song, what, what Dylan says in there. There's a lot that young people and old people can glom onto. And I think that's like a perfect song in the middle of that set. And it just makes me become a better listener. I was paying attention. Sometimes I think I wasn't, but I, I think I was paying attention. Well, and sometimes you don't really realize that until you need to access what you were paying attention to. Correct. That song is obviously more meaningful to me now than it was then. But even then, I was trying to listen. I was trying to, to catch on to something. And I, I thought I, I was um, doing a pretty good job of at least making meaning of like what I liked and, and who I wanted to be. They play seven songs in the first set. Of those seven, six of them are covered. You get a couple of Bob Dylan covers in there, Van Morrison. Knocking on Heaven's Door, great version here. It's funny because the first time that I heard knocking on heaven's door was Guns N' Roses' Use Your Illusion. That was in 1991, so two years even after this. I didn't even know it was, I probably didn't know who Bob Dylan was in 1989. The harpsichord that Melvin is playing in at about the five minute mark really has a, a, a haunting, dramatic, 
emotional type of feel that really Jerry was very, very good at listening through his guitar playing. And, and Melvin really fits it in nicely there with that. Then they wrap up with, and it's stoned me. That's going to be a great sing-along. Now, of course, I know the song quite well now. A lot of bands have covered it. And then they wrap up with the Peter Rome cover of Midnight Moonlight. Really strong set. Let me just quickly review the first set. They open with, I'll take a melody. They love each other. Forever young. That's what love will make you do. Knocking on heaven's door. And it stoned me and Midnight Moonlight to close out the set. Uh, one thing that you mentioned when we talked again about that Grateful Dead show from episode six, the July 6th, 1990 show, we talked a little bit about how maybe you thought some of the Brent songs were cheesy. And as a high school, just out of high school, I look at this set list and you got a bunch of love stuff and you got some heaven stuff and really kind of a lot of deeper songs that maybe an 18, 19 year old isn't going to appreciate. Did you think this music was cheesy too? No, no. I mean, I had an older brother, so that that's like, that ends that conversation. So you start with the Beatles, you start at the Stones, then you go on as Led Zeppelin, then you might even take a right turn and do some heavier stuff or do what I did and take a left turn. You know, you get exposed to, I was a kid that lived in the city, so I was exposed to it a little bit, but then you take a left turn and start listening to maybe Yes, and then Grateful Dead, and then Jerry Garcia. So no, I didn't think they were cheesy. I wanted to know more about them, especially some of the Motown stuff. The fact that they selected those songs, and, and from what I've heard, John Connor like, arranged for them to play a lot of these uh, older cuts because he was such an album freak, I think was super interesting. I did not know that. Uh, so I think it's awesome that it was him kind of that drove that train of what uh, cuts off of certain albums that they he thought that him and Jerry and, and the rest of the band could play. So no, I didn't think they were cheesy at all. Not when I saw the crowd's reactions. And, and that was different, again, if you want to go back to the conversation we just had about the Grateful Dead and Jerry Garcia, was there were times that were ambient in the Grateful Dead. It was the kind of, uh, uh, that's that's who they were. That was their identity. Not all the time. There's there's great jams that, that are really get you going as a fan of the Grateful Dead. There's, it's just different. And no, I didn't think they were cheesy. So as a young kid, you just, you pick out things that you might not agree with because it's maybe as you've said before, not necessarily pleasing to your ear, but then you grow up a little bit, and again, it just be, makes you a better listener. It's just a evolution, and I think every person that's ever been to a concert or liked the band, or I think you just you become a good listener, and you just want to be more patient. Although my daughter says I'm not, but yes. <laughs> As I said, this is some of my favorite Garcia band stuff, that they love each other, that's what love will make you do. Midnight Moonlight, those are some of my favorite Garcia band tunes I could just listen to over and over again. Same with the second set. Let's go ahead and take a look at the second set. They opened with Cats Under the Stars, Waiting for a Miracle, Simple Twist of Fate, Evangeline. They closed the second set with The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down, and they encored with Don't Let Go. A couple of my all-time favorite Garcia band tunes, Cats Under the Stars, Don't Let Go, two songs that I just absolutely love. Cats Down Under the Stars has one of my all-time favorite lyrics in when Jerry sings, Time is a Stripper, Doing It Just For You. I absolutely love that line. 
This is a killer version. Great jam to open up the second set. Uh, yeah, and you know what's great about this Cats, too, right after they do that line, they pull right into this just amazing, like, reggae feel uh, jam, and, and Melvin and Jerry start to go right at it, right after each other, which is, it's, and they crush this version. Um, the lyrics are all there. As a musician, I, I don't even know how that is, or an actor, to like be able on stage to just remember those lines because you've been doing it so long, I guess it comes so easy. So I never was a very like uh, judgmental person about them forgetting words. I might laugh at it, you know, but that that's the price that you pay on the ticket stub, as it were, to get in. And, and yeah, you're gonna have some mistakes, so you just roll with it and keep going. These guys are so good, uh, Jerry included, obviously, that they they can pick up the pace right after a mistake, so it doesn't really matter. But this Cats is, is, is outstanding. We talked about Jerry's voice in episode six of Stub Me Down and how he sounded good. He sounded a little bit weathered, a little bit more seasoned. That doesn't really necessarily come across in this show, which was a year earlier. He still sounds youthful, energetic, like he's having a great time up there. He really seemed through the music to enjoy playing with this band. As we talked about uh, regarding the first set, the interplay between him and Melvin Seals was really strong. You get into the simple twist of fate and he starts to have some similar conversations, musical conversations with John Kahn on the bass. There's a great bass solo that Khan plays that leads into a nice Jerry solo. And again, you could really feel that emotion, that kind of deep connection to the music that they were playing. Jerry played with Phil all the time and, and Phil's a master musician. And I think again, it goes back to that conversation about how people either play with Jerry or Jerry plays with people or he just was so able to have that musical conversation in so many different ways. Oh yeah, it totally makes sense. I mean, Khan was the backbone of that band. I mean, uh, you know, that was his kind of little space there to go off. And later in the set, he does it again during the Don't Let Go. You know, it's Jerry's band, but I think Jerry was an explorer. Um, and I just think that he utilized a Grateful Dead to explore in, in a different way so existential and so ambient and different, something that you'd never heard, where Jerry Garcia band kind of sticks to the roots of, of, of rock and roll and music and soul and, again, even gospel. The singers that he <clears throat> employed for so long, Jacqueline and Gloria, they were so good and, and, and kind of went along with the rhythm of Khan and Jerry, and you can hear that come through too, so. The Grateful Dead show we, we've talked about previously, more reflective songs in the set, whereas this has a much more, it has a much different message, more uplifting, more spiritual, more things are gonna be all right. And you really get that throughout the set. The Evangeline, again, she's on her own since nearly 17, since she left home. It really creates that dance party atmosphere because it's full of energy, it's full of optimism and hope. You know, they bring it down a little bit with the night they drove old Dixie down. Then that don't let go that they encored with. That is an unreal version. The biggest jam they, they save for the end. What we might identify as a type two jam they get into in the middle of that. They seamlessly transition into that. 
and then back out of that into Don't Let Go to bring it home at the end of the show. What'd you think about that Don't Let Go then? How do you feel about it now, going back, re-listening to it a couple of times for uh, this episode? I mean, my visuals from that song are, are very entrenched in my soul. I'm at the back of the lawn and the song starts and every ass in the entire amphitheater, now shed, whatever you want to call it, is totally moving like up and down like the entire lawn and i took a lot of time to make sure that i did those panoramic perspectives that you you guys have on your iphones now but i did it with my eyes so that i could remember in my brain exactly what that looked like a packed house on the lawn at merriweather and i don't really see that much anymore i've seen it a couple times since but nothing that reminds me of that. And then Jerry's playing and how they divulge into a couple different jams is something that I won't forget. I know that singing is like twice praying or whatever, but dancing's gotta be like 50 based on that show. Um, and that don't let go for me is just a highlight. I remember I thought like, I think everybody in here thinks they're the best dancer in the whole place. <laughs> and I was one of them. It's just that that's the highlight of the set that and the cats the, the, to bookend i know that i probably walked out saying that cats was awesome and the don't let go is ridiculous and i probably forgot everything in between until i heard it again on tape to bring it back to that reggae and uplifting feel that's what made everybody probably think that place was like church that night i think they had a lot of red and white lighting too which is very gospely maybe some blues during that like simple twist of fade and I do also recall Jerry lifting his hand above his head, which was a very rare occurrence at the end of the Don't Let Go. I know that he, he like ended it like that. I'm sure there's a t-shirt out there of some guy that took a picture of that that night. Um, there was a lot of leg kicks and a lot of smiling from Jerry. So I think that energy from him too is what separates seeing that band from the Grateful Dead and, and Jerry's energy towards that. They've been together for, for a while. That, that was the longest team that they had assembled for that band. So I think, yeah, it was awesome, dude. What can I say? I'm glad I, I pulled this one for you, bro. Yeah, this is definitely one, Skinny, we talk about re-listenability here on Stub Me Down. And the whole idea of this show is for us to take a look at concerts we've been to in the past and remember those concerts, discuss them, revisit them, pull out those great pieces and, and use them as a, a focus for conversation. This is definitely a show worthy of going and checking out if it's one you are not familiar with. Jerry Garcia Band from September 2nd, 1989 at Meriwether Post Pavilion. Let me just run through the second set real quick. Cats Down Under the Stars opened with Waiting for a Miracle Next, Simple Twist of Fate, Evangeline, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down, closed the second set. Uh, that's a five-song second set, by the way. And they encored with Don't Let Go, really rocking version, exploratory, nice jam, type two, as those of us from the 21st century might classify something like this. There wasn't a whole lot of that type of jamming in Garcia Band shows, so it was cool to, to see that at the end of this particular show. Honestly, I don't think this is something I would have even been able to have comprehended at 12 years old, going into seventh grade. I'm glad that I know you who can offer me some understanding now. 
31 years later. You would have been the coolest fucking seventh grader that ever lived <laughs> if you were into this shit back then. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm so glad that I'm able to share not only this show, but my perspective and your perspective about other shows that we've seen together or apart. And uh, this is one that I, I, I wanted to pull for a while. And yeah, this was no joke. You got to stop pulling these shows from when I was still like picking boogers and wearing sweatpants with like one leg pulled up. I'll try, man. I mean, you know, it just, I'm only eight years older than you, bro. I think it's only seven years. It's seven? Okay. I don't count months. I mean, I always just, I'm like... I'm 43. Oh, you're 43? Oh, it is seven. Okay. I was wrong the whole time. Well, that makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> than I felt at the start of this conversation than I do now. So, awesome. Glad I could make you feel better as we approach your half-century mark. Just a couple weeks, August 2020, because regardless of what the rest of this year has looked like, August 2020 is going to be a fundamental shift in the life of Skinny. It is, it is. We'll talk about it later. Let's not talk about it now. Anything else you got? Because I, I think I'm talked out. I can't believe it. I said a lot tonight. Uh, no, I think we've covered as much as we can with this show. Great show. Jerry Garcia Band from September 2nd, 1989 at Meriwether Post Pavilion. Skinny, I want to thank you for stubbing me down on this show. I was really glad to pull this one out of the CD book. I must have listened to it four times to prep for... Um, our conversation today. Every time I found something new and it was a great show to go back and check out. Oh, who knows? Maybe one day on a future episode we'll pull the first night of this show and we'll be able to compare our work from the September 1st show and the September 2nd show. Yeah, that would be great, man. I'm glad I pulled this too. And, uh, you know, like I've said a thousand times i love doing this man let's keep it rolling thanks very much for checking us out here on stub me down we wouldn't be here without you all well we would you just wouldn't be listening to it thank you if you want to check us out on the socials you can check us out via twitter at stub underscore me underscore down we are also on instagram at the same address stub underscore me underscore down and we will see you the next time you need to get out of your shitty seats and down to the path see ya